Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1 says, I am weary, O God. I am weary and worn out. Can anybody relate? Other passages echo the same theme. As biblical writers put their finger on the weariness that so often is part of the human experience for every one of us as people who live in a fallen and broken world. By the way, if anyone ever doubts whether or not the Bible really speaks with any relevance anymore, I think passages like these are, are great reasons for us to rethink our skepticism about the relevance of Scripture. So what's causing our weariness today? You could make the list just as easily as I could. I think that most of us would agree that the deep, cumulative, society-wide fatigue that we are experiencing seems to center on an exasperating, microscopically small virus and its variants that are leaving a wide path of disruption and destruction all across our society. We are tired of COVID restrictions. On again, off again, on again. And all the associated hassles with school and work and healthcare and shopping and travel. We are tired of all the disagreements over how serious this threat really is and the endless arguments over the best way to proceed. We are tired of the dividing and polarizing and politicizing that we experience around us and of the resulting splits in our personal families and in our church families. We are tired of the worst coming out in people, sniping and attacking and assuming the worst of one another. And if we're honest, we are tired of the worst coming out of us. Losing our faith perspective, losing our patience, losing our temper, lashing out, shutting out, checking out, numbing out. We are weary, oh God. We are weary and worn out. I remember as a kindergartner in, at Windermere Elementary School, when we got to stop every day during school and take a nap. Some of you still remember those days? We pulled out these fold-up mats and we, we, uh, and we spread them out on the floor. And then Mrs. Wiley said, okay, kids, everybody get quiet. It's time for your nap. And then she'd turn off the lights, and for the next 20 minutes, we would experience peace and rest and quiet. Wouldn't it be great if someone found the overhead light switch for the entire planet and switched it off and said, okay, everyone, pull out your mats. It's nap time. But rest still is available to us, even in a world with circumstances that don't let up. The author of Hebrews writes, the promise of entering into his rest still stands. So how as weary people in a world with troubles unrelenting, do we enter the rest that God provides for us? This Sunday, we were gonna begin a new sermon series 
that in which we walked back through our beliefs, our calling, and our values as a church, just in the midst of all of the changes taking place over the last year and a half, a chance for us to get reacquainted with who we are and, and what we're about as we make our way toward the exit sign uh, from this whole COVID thing. But the more I spoke with you and listened and noticed your response to last Sunday's message, the more I sought to listen to the Lord, the more I wondered if we needed first to just take some more time to focus on who God is and why he is worthy of our trust and how to trust him in the midst of our weary struggles. So today we begin a different new three-part sermon series in which we'll be exploring what it means for us to find rest in God. This morning we'll focus on the rest that comes from God's presence beside us. Next Sunday we'll focus on the rest that comes from God's power within us. And then on Labor Day weekend we'll talk about sleep and Sabbath and social media limits. And we'll explore the rest that comes from God's parameters for us. So as we begin to wrestle with this idea of finding rest in God's presence, the claim that we are wrestling with, is the biblical claim that God offers us rest in life that comes apart from our circumstances. Is that true? Look at this interesting passage from 2 Corinthians. Paul says, this body of ours had no rest, conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us. In other words, there was a spiritual rest available to Paul that he availed himself of that didn't have anything to do with physical rest or emotional rest. And Paul says that that same rest is available to us. And the source of that rest? Well, look at these different passages of Scripture that point to, that, that hint at the, where we should look for the answer to that. Where is our rest found? Exodus 13, or 33, 14. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Deuteronomy 33, 12, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him. Psalm 91, verse 1, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Isaiah 63, 14, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. Psalm 62, verse 1, my soul finds rest in God alone. So God says that we can find rest in him. So how do we experience rest in God apart from our circumstances? Say I just come around the corner and I land in a challenging situation. Maybe I was just diagnosed with cancer or I found out my retirement savings were just cut in half or I didn't make the team or my best friend last year is ignoring me this year or, or I lost my job or my father got COVID or my church has made another rule about COVID or my neighbor has a dog that barks all day, or my car broke down, or you fill in the blank. How do I experience rest apart from these and other circumstances that are not to our liking? How do we experience rest in the Lord? Okay, let me make an observation and see if you agree with me about this. So to give context for it, the Christian life begins, as I think most of you probably know, by our putting our trust in Jesus as the one who forgives our sin, who purchases our life with his life, and who reconciles us to God, who brings us into relationship with God. And let me just say that if you have not taken that step of faith by which you 
embark on the Christian life, I want to encourage you, speak to a Christian friend today, speak to me or to one of us on staff, and, and find out what it means to put your faith and trust in Christ and to begin the Christian life. Okay, so with that as a background on which I think we can all agree, this is, this is the observation I'd like to make. And that is that early on in our life in Christ, as we wrestle with how it is exactly that God fits into the rest of our lives, I think we all come to a T intersection. We may not recognize it as one. It may feel to us as though there was never a decision point that we came to. But at some point, Early on, we are faced with a fundamental choice of outlooks, which has everything to do with our Christian experience from that point forward. Here's the choice that I believe that we are presented with. Either the thing that matters most to me is my circumstances in life going well, or the thing that matters most to me is that my life in Christ is going well. If my circumstances are what matter most, health, prosperity, comfort, success, being thought well of, getting along with others, my rights and freedoms being honored, others agreeing with my opinions, freedom from pain and discomfort, or whatever are the circumstances of our desiring. If circumstances are what matter most to me, then two things will be true. First, it will be to my circumstances specifically to things going the way that I want them to go, that I will look for my rest. My inner peace is tied to my circumstances. And second, I will look to God to bring about those circumstances that are to my liking, to bring about the rest that I long for. So God becomes the means to my desired end. That makes sense? All right, stay with me here. On the other hand, if what matters most of all to me is my relationship with the Lord, then two different things will be true. It will be to him that I look for my rest and not to my circumstances. My rest will be tied to my relationship with a good and loving God who is in control and who can be trusted and not to circumstances that I like or approve of. And second... I will see the deepening of that relationship with God, the maturing of my life of worship and prayer, my growing in grace and Christ-likeness. I will see those as the desired outcome, and I will see my circumstances as tools in God's hands to bring about that desired outcome. They will become his means to my desired ends and to his, which is an ever-deepening relationship with God. So somewhere along the way, early in our Christian life, we, we came to a decision point and we chose to adopt one outlook or the other one. Now, here's what's true about that decision. If you turn left at the intersection, if you made the first choice, you will be doubly disappointed. Certainly there will be some times when your circumstances will be to your liking, but you will not have a life that is free of challenge and struggle and loss and difficulty. That will not be your experience in this life. Over the course of your life, your life will be full of challenges. And if your view of God is that he is the one 
whose job it is to give you the circumstances that are to your liking, then your view of God will be one that falls somewhere on the spectrum between thin trust and deep disappointment. Why? Because God never promised those things to us. He never promised rosy circumstances, not in this life. Just the opposite, in fact. God assures us that we will all have troubles and struggles in this life. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows. And he never promises that he will be like a genie in a bottle to, to bring about life circumstances that fit with our expectations at our beckoning. So this first path is a path to repeated disappointment and frustration. A couple of nights ago, I was in Palos, and I was standing looking at the wall of flavored water options. Uh, as I was standing there, somebody who works at Payless walked by in front of me. He was a guy that I recently had interacted with. He has kind of a fun sense of humor. He probably recognized me. I certainly recognized him. He walked by without saying anything. Okay, so maybe 10 minutes later, he walked back by, and I was still standing there looking at this wall of flavored water options. I love this. This has cracked me up. Frustrating, isn't it? He said as he walked right past me. No eye contact. Deadpan. <laughs> I laughed out loud, and I, and I said, by this point, he was all the way kind of 15 feet up at the end of the aisle. I laughed out loud, and I said, I love this. Payless now provides a customer empathy representative. <laughs> it is frustrating. So, again, completely deadpan, standing at the end of the aisle, this is what he says. Think about it. There are too many choices. You don't have enough money to try them all. And even if you did, none of them would ultimately satisfy you. And then he turned and walked away. <laughs> Spiritual advisors at Payless too. I love it. There's a truth teller for you. My friend from Payless is right. If we are standing in life's grocery store looking for the perfect set of circumstances, and if we are looking for God to bring about that perfect set of circumstances, we are going to be frustrated every time. Which brings us to the second option. Remember, that's the option that says, it is my relationship with God going well, not my circumstances going well, that matters most of all to me. And if that's the path we choose, then we will be met by repeated and unexpected grace gifts from God in the middle of our circumstances. Our circumstances will not get any easier or any more to our liking, but each one of them will come bearing gifts from God. Each one will become a means by which God brings us closer to himself and deeper into peace and rest as a result. God will use our conflict with others to form forbearance and forgiveness in us and to grow us in grace. He will meet us through God's people when we find ourselves in grief and loss and bring his comfort to us. Trials that don't let up, he will use to form patience in us. Whatever threatens our life will become an opportunity in God's hand to grow us in hope and so on. And in it all, 
Every time we cry out for relief, for justice, for strength, for grace to forgive, we are drawing closer to God. We are including him in our circumstances. And the one prayer that God will answer in every circumstance, every time we pray it, is that God will give us himself. He always will. And God will always be sufficient for anything that we face. So let me just pause here and ask you to be honest with yourself. Which of these fundamental approaches, which of these basic outlooks related to God and your circumstances is yours? Which direction did you turn when that intersection came up in your life? Do you look to God for your rest and peace, or do you see your circumstances as the way that that will come about? Whichever you have decided the first time you came to that intersection, the good news is it's not too late to hop in your car and turn around and go back to that intersection and make a different choice. Psalm 62 is a great example of that. It is a prayerful conversation modeled for us that we can have with the Lord as we fall into and then as we fall back out of and as we fall back into believing that our rest and our peace really can be found in God. The psalm opens up with this wonderful affirmation. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. The word that David chooses for rest here, this Hebrew word, is the rest that comes not from pain-free circumstances that are free of trouble, but from a trustful outlook related to a person who is present with us in them. And that's a crucial distinction. I don't find peace because my circumstances are peaceful, but because you, the Prince of Peace, rule over my circumstances and you meet me in them. During the two weeks that I stayed home caring for Sharon following her surgery, there were several times in those early days when she would be resting and I would be nearby and out from under her covers, I would hear her in a sleepy voice say, David? Yeah, hon. I just wanted to know where you are. Right here, honey, right by your side. It gives me such comfort to have you near, she would say, and then go back to sleep. That's the sort of rest that David describes. A God is with me so I can be at peace sort of rest. To capture what God with me is like for David, he uses the metaphor of a huge rocky outcrop in the Judean desert. Now think of all of the, the things that you can do with a rock besides the obvious one of standing and gazing upon it in joy and in admiration at its beauty. I'll take it for granted that, that you already know about that, that that's a nice way to, to use a rock. Of course you already know that, sorry. <laughs> A huge and solid rock is a great thing to plant your feet on, to put the whole of your weight upon it, confident that it will not give way when everything else is shaky and uncertain. It's a great place to, to go behind and to hide behind. It's a fortress behind which we can experience the strength of God's security and safety. And it's a great place to stand on top of providing us a clear view and a great perspective across the rest of our lives. And God is all of those things for us in difficult circumstances, David is saying. So in verses one and two, David expresses the deep rest 
that can be ours in our soul when we put our deep trust in God. But then David has a setback, a loss of perspective. In verses 3 and 4, his rest and his peace come under attack from outside of himself as he faces conflict with others and and others attack him and he wrestles with the temptation to look to circumstances, to, to harmony and to freedom from conflict as the path to rest and peace. But then he remembers what's true. God reminds him. So in verses five and six, he comes back to his opening affirmation, but this time admonishing himself not to lose sight of the fact that his soul will only ever find rest as a result of being in relationship with God, trusting in and depending upon him, rather than in, in some flimsy come-and-go circumstance like health or, or like-mindedness or popularity or power. He says, find rest, O my soul, admonishing himself in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's reminding himself that his soul rest can only be found in one place, and he's admonishing himself to put his eyes back there. But then, in verses 9 and 10, the peace and rest begin to unravel again. This time is a result of attacks from within. As he frets and he worries about his unmet needs, and as he wrestles with the temptation to believe that different circumstances would bring him rest and peace. So notice the pattern that's being set up in this psalm. Affirmation. My rest is found in God alone. Attack, the temptation to believe that rest can be found in my circumstances. Fresh affirmation, remember self, my rest can be found in God alone. Fresh attack, another temptation to believe that my rest can be found in my circumstances. And with each fresh attack, a fresh affirmation, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. You know where this is going. I think David intentionally sets up a rhythm in this psalm that he intends would be a rhythm for our lives that would carry right out of the end of the psalm and into the way that we live. The psalm reminds us that in any given challenging circumstance, it's easy for us to lose sight of the truth that God alone is sufficient for anything and everything that we face. So how do we keep that in mind? Well, let me use our closing minutes to share with you a really practical discipline that can help us to experience the rest that Jesus offers us in all things. And that rest comes really from fixing our eyes on Jesus himself. Jesus says in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and I will give you rest. I love that invitation. But his voice is hard to hear over the din of everything else that's swirling around inside of us and outside of us. Where is he in the crazy, in the fullness, in the overwhelming that is both in this world and in our hearts? He so often just gets lost in the crowd of our circumstances. I know he's there somewhere in the crowd, but I, I lose sight of him. And I lose track of his voice. Let me share with you an ancient spiritual discipline that can bring Jesus to light in any situation. Jean Guyon was a French woman who lived in the, the 16 and 1700s. And she wrote a short book on experiencing God's presence, which went on to become a, a great spiritual classic. It's called A Short and Easy Method of Prayer. And in the book, she introduces an ancient way, reintroduces an ancient way of reading scripture and praying that she calls beholding the Lord. So what I'd like to do is just take a couple of minutes to read some of the lines uh, from this book. 
And let them be an invitation for us this morning and as a practice for our lives going forward. This is what she writes. Do you desire to know the Lord in a deep way? God has made such an experience, such a walk possible for you. Prayer is the key, a kind of prayer that is very simple. The type of prayer that I have in mind is to walk in the presence of God. I describe it as beholding the Lord or walking or waiting on the Lord. You come before your Lord to sit in his presence, beholding him, making use of the scripture to quiet your mind. Begin to read some portion of scripture and as you read, pause. You are reading in order to turn your mind from outward things to God's presence within. You're not there in this practice to learn or to read but you are there to experience the presence of the Lord. Once you are in the Lord's presence, be still and quiet before him. If your mind begins to wander, just turn your attention back again. As you come to him, humbly acknowledge that he is everything. Give yourself up to God. Acknowledge before him his right to rule over you. Surrender your heart into his hands. Yield to your Lord his right to do with you as he pleases. You must utterly believe that the circumstances of your life, that is, every minute of your life, anything, yes, everything that happens, have all come to you by his will and by his permission. You must utterly believe that everything that has happened to you is from God. Such an outlook towards your circumstances and such a, a look of faith towards your Lord will make you content in everything. You will then begin to take everything that comes into your life as being from the hands of God and not from the hands of men. Abandonment is the key. It is the key to the inner court, the key to the fathomless depths. Abandonment is the key to the inward spiritual life. The Lord himself has said, take no thought for tomorrow, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. All of your concerns go into the hand of God. You forget yourself, and from that moment on, you think only of him. By continuing to do this over a long period of time, your heart will be free and at peace. What is abandonment? It is forgetting your past. It is leaving the future in his hands. It is devoting the present fully and completely to your Lord. Abandonment is being satisfied with God in the present moment. No matter what that moment contains, you are satisfied because you know that whatever that moment has, it contains in that instant God's eternal plan for you. Do you wish to go into the depths of Jesus Christ? then surrender yourself to be led by God, living 24 hours a day, utterly abandoned to him. When Madame Guyon speaks of abandonment, she is saying the same thing that we've been saying all along this morning. Choosing to let my relationship with God matter more to me than my particular circumstances and trusting that God will use those circumstances, whatever they are, to draw me closer to himself. When we pray in this way, the small and hidden Jesus, hidden by the clamor of our circumstances, swallowed up by our noisy and 
pestering and wearying situation begins to loom larger and clearer. And soon the circumstances begin to fall away, having done their job of ushering us into God's presence. And soon he is all we can see, and we only see our circumstances through him. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, who is present in and Lord over every circumstance we will ever face. Jesus, in whom and in whom alone is our rest and peace. Let's turn to him now. Jesus. Sovereign over all. Sufficient for all. We choose to take our eyes off of the circumstances around us and place them on you. We reach out our hand and find your hand reaching towards us and feel your solid grip. We plant our feet on the rock and we find the strength and the substance on which the weight of our lives now stands and we find you strong and sufficient. We rest in your presence with us. We rest in your rule over us and over all things. We claim you, Christ, our hope forever in life and in death.